Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me is my good buddy Dom Luschishin. Nice. Dom, how'd I do? Really good. You're getting a lot better there. I mean, I've had you on the show, what, three, four times now? And yeah. I hope that uh, the, the whole shtick of Dom L is done. Mm-hmm. You're, you're Dom Luschishin now. Oh, now that I've said it, I've, I'm, I'm only referring to you as that for you're, now. You are the best in the business at that, I gotta say. Some oh. people think they know it after they've had me a couple times, and I'm like, you don't know it. I'm a broadcasting professional, what can I say? <laughs> uh, this is my first rodeo. Um, so we are right now recording in my Toronto Airbnb. I gotta say, Dimitri always has the hottest Airbnbs. Every time I go in, it's a, it's a castle. I've got the hookups, what can I say? Um, I've got that Rogers money. Um, <laughs> and we're recording on these new handheld mics I've got. I've done a few shows with them, not too many. So hopefully the audio is okay. We're still... I'm still learning on the fly here in terms of how far I need to keep it away from my mouth and how I need to use this thing. And my producer always gives me crap about it, but we'll see how it goes. And we are recording in the kitchen and there's a fridge beside us. Um, it's a lesser of two evils. We were trying to record in a smaller room before, but there was a bit of an echo. So hopefully it'll turn out okay. I'm really, I'm really painting a picture here for our listeners. So they feel like they're part of the show. You got to get an Airbnb with a studio space. That's next. I do. I do. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, you know, Rogers is a fly-by-night organization. They don't have uh, they don't have that much money yet. Um, so we're recording this on a Thursday uh, afternoon, I guess. Now, um, it's kind of a weird point in the season. I've been saying it for a few weeks now, but especially, I mean, there's like the individual awards races, I guess, to talk about. There's still a few playoff matchups left to be determined, but for the most part, I feel like we're all just kind of waiting for round one to get here um and thankfully that'll happen in the next 10 days or so but for now it's like you know we solicited some questions on twitter and we'll get to that because there aren't too many natural topics other than the ones i've just been rehashing over and over again for the Mm -hmm. past few weeks yeah uh it's a tough time because basically you're just waiting especially if you live in toronto you've been waiting you've been in third for like six years now you're just wondering if it's gonna be boston or tampa so that's gonna be a, a big game tonight between those two yeah so what do you think? Okay, I was on the Steve Daniel podcast uh, the other day, and they Hold were on asked, one of the. I was reading the questions. One of them asked who was the most delightful member of the Steve Daniel podcast. I've never been on, mm. so I don't have the answer. But maybe you do. Someone wants to know this. They're all um, 
This is I'm honestly not even being dip- diplomatic here. This is the tr- honest truth. They're all like the sweetest people ever. Mm-hmm. They're so nice. Uh, Steve is obviously a bit of an acquired taste. He's very, <laughs> very eccentric, very uh, energetic and excited, especially to talk about the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you kind of recalibrate for that, um, he's great. Adam is Adam is just really nice. And Jesse was, um, you know, he's sort of the third wheel in that show, so he was a bit more quiet and kind of fact checking and stuff. But he was great as well. So I had I had a blast and. They have a bit more of a professional setup than I do here. Mm-hmm. Um, they got the actual Rogers studio and they got the cameras set up and everything. So it was a blast. Hopefully the PDO guests will get there one day. So you have to wear your best turtleneck for that, right? I had to. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm right now I'm wearing like my third best one. Uh, I have pock talks tonight. Um, I'll wear my, I think I might wear the first one again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But anyways, let's talk a bit about the, what you raised there with the Bruins and the lightning and we're in Toronto here and you know, we have a bit of that Leafs bias, so we need to kind of factor them here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think the Bruins and Lightning are such different teams. Yeah. Um, and there might not necessarily be a right answer in terms of which one you'd rather face if you were the Leafs in round one. But I don't know, like, how do you how do you break down those matchups in terms of both from a Leafs perspective and if you were just sort of grading all three of those teams as a whole? Sort of like a pick your poison, because uh, the Leafs are going to be underdogs to either team. Um I follow a lot of Leafs fans, as most hockey fans do. They look at their Twitter feed. As anything, anytime a Leafs thing happens, like, oh, I follow a lot of Leafs fans. I follow even more because uh, I cover the team. And it seems like a lot of people have veered away from wanting Boston to wanting Tampa Bay in round one because they see it as the easier opponent because Tampa Bay's kind of floundered a bit lately. The way I see it, I think I'd prefer the Bruins just because the way the Leafs are built, they have depth on all four lines now. They can... They might not win that line one matchup, but they could win lines two to four because Boston, as great a team as they are, the their bottom three lines aren't as strong. I don't think they're as deep there as Tampa, but obviously the Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak line is going to be hard to contain. So that'll be tough, but I think I'd prefer playing Boston right now. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think obviously we saw, um, I mean, we've seen it from the Lightning all season, but in the most recent matchup against the Leafs, sort of how how they quickly they can turn the game on its head where the yeah. Leafs were looking good for a while and then all of a sudden, like, the Lightning just scored three goals in a matter of minutes and you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. And there's very few teams in recent memory that have that capability, which is obviously what makes them super dangerous. The Bruins are more of that um, kind of LA Kings team from a few years ago. I think they have a bit more scoring talent, but it's kind of like that battle of attrition and they wear you down and they want to have the puck as often as possible and they're going to win in that way mm-hmm. would you be worried um from a Leafs perspective i know we've you know mitch marner is having a great season especially of late and you know you've got patty marlow there you've got jvr especially on the power play but you know with the bruins having home ice advantage in that series um as a Leafs observer would you be worried about the potential of you know the Bruins can just throw that Bergeron line against Matthews pretty much for the entirety of the game whenever he's out there. And do you think the Leafs have enough sort of secondary scoring there to combat that if that Matthews line isn't able to generate much? I, I do. I do. The, the Leafs, that's their biggest strength is that they do have secondary scoring, especially since they they don't have anyone playing like 20 minutes a night. They balance all the lines. Uh, the third line with JVR, Bozak, and Brown has been crushing opponents lately. Um and if they can win that matchup against the Bruins' third line, which is a fine third line, but I think I would place the Leafs' depth ahead of them. Um, the big concern for me is that the Bruins have the best left winger in the league, probably, arguably. Yep. 
Um, I don't know if that was a hot take or not. Um, I don't know. Like you put who else would you put? You put Taylor Hall there. Hall Ovi. Um, I'm sure we're I'm sure we're missing someone. We're, we're missing yelling, someone probably yeah, right good. Now. Uh, I mean Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben. Having a bit of a, a down right, year. but I mean in terms of like yeah. just pure ability, especially over the past few years, if you're using a three-year sample or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean Gaudreau. Yeah, um, yeah. I would put Marshall. I have all those guys, and the league's biggest weak- weakness is right-hand defensemen. So, do we really want to see Hainsey, Zaitsev, Pollock handling Marshawn on a nightly basis? I personally do not want any business <laughs> with that. I mean, those guys were built for for postseason hockey. Roman <laughs> Polak bringing bringing the the grit, grit intensity. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I think, I mean, it's obviously not ideal that for the Leafs to advance, they'd probably have to beat both of those teams yeah. in succession. Like that's that seems like it's a a tough thing. And you know, people are going to bring this up because it feels like this year more so than ever, uh, more people are calling into question the. Uh, playoff structuring format and the seating and everything and mm-hmm. obviously it's kind of convenient people are like oh now that it affects the Leafs especially uh of course people are calling into question but that ignores the fact that uh people like you and I have been yeah kind of calling this out for a few years now as kind of bogus and not the right mm-hmm. way to go about it I went to bat for the Columbus Blue Jackets last year wrote a whole thing about how garbage it was that they were facing the Pens <coughs> uh in the first round and I uh, had I think people in the Columbus organization tweeting at me or dming me saying thank you for this so it's not just a leap thing it's been a thing for years i know people were like messaging travis who's been on this bandwagon i think since they brought this format to existence yep and it's just amazing that they called him a leaps homer i think he was a sense (laughs) fan yeah um man it's it's tough i i I see both sides of the argument just from the perspective like i think the the rationale the league uses is they wanted this because it's going to increase the likelihood of building in-division rivalries, which I think is bogus. Mm-hmm. I think the argument makes much more sense that, you know, eventually if you're the best teams, you're going to have to beat the other best teams to win the cup. And you want to, like from a from a fan perspective, um, I think it would just be, it's fun watching the teams play when they're at full capacity and when everyone's healthy and we know that, yeah. Come the conference finals and the finals, um, you know, teams start losing guys, guys start dropping like flies, they're playing at less than 100%, and maybe the hockey isn't as that playing at, played at mm-hmm. high of a level as it could have been earlier. Yeah. But, you know, it sort of defeats the purpose of the regular season then, because what's the point of being really good and winning as many games as you can if you have to, if you're like the fourth best team and you're playing the sixth best team in the league in the first round? It seems kind of on its head and just backwards. Yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense. I feel like I'd rather have the marquee series in rounds three and four instead of rounds one and two, but that's the NHL for you. <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk about two teams here uh, out west that don't have to worry about this because they're not even going to make the playoffs. <laughs> and, uh, wow, that was a segue and a half. That was uh, We're talking about the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames here. And I know that you wrote about um, the Dallas Stars, mm-hmm. but we're going to lump the Calgary Flames into this because it feels like they deserve it's sort of, it. It's sort of tough to discern which one is more disappointing and which one is uh, more egregious. Both teams look really good for large stretches of the season, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of the underlying numbers and in terms of their place in the standings. And then now they've both just completely fallen off. And unless something you know drastic happens in the final uh, couple weeks here, uh, they're both going to be out on the outside looking in, and that's going to be a massive disappointment. Which team do you think, 
you know, when they're sitting at home watching the first round, uh, should be more disappointed about the way their season's gone? Uh, there's an argument for both. Uh, Dallas, because they had it. Yeah. They were uh, they were the first team with 80 points after 66 games to likely miss the playoffs unless they pull a rabbit out of their hat. But I, I feel like I'd go with Calgary only because I think they are the stronger team and they have the high-end talent that teams clamor for and they somehow mess that up because their bottom end is garbage yes also the first round pick they traded away <laughs> yeah and and they don't have their second i think their first yeah. pick this year is in the third round and now we hear reports elliot freeman reported in a 31 thoughts a couple weeks ago that uh tree living is going to be looking to get back into the first round and i think that's obviously depends on what the deal is but i imagine after this disappointing of a season that's often when we see teams overreact and trade mm-hmm. someone from the core to kind of shake things up and show their fans that they're doing something yeah and i think that would be just a horrible way to go about yeah. it from the flames perspective here because obviously you never want to overreact but in this case mm-hmm. like their top players are the ones that have played so well yeah and so subtracting from there to just for the sake of making a move seems like a very poor yeah miscalculated decision on their part making a move for the sake of making a move seems like the bold brave thing to do but the braver thing to do is to do nothing right because no one does nothing you like it, it would be very brave of them to say you know what? we have a good team uh we could just have some holes to fix we're not going to make a rash decision they're not going to do that probably because that's just not how most teams operate you'd hope they do and i hope for the flames fans sake that they don't trade away someone like Dougie Hamilton, yes. for example. But yeah, well, I, I think there's a few things the Flames can do. Um, I, you never necessarily want to advocate for someone to lose their job, but I think Glenn Gulletson will be fine financially. I think mm-hmm. he's done not a great job this season, and they could upgrade there. And then obviously, you know, I think most people at the deadline wanted to see them add some talent and scoring ability on the wing to sort of supplement those top guys yeah. and obviously poaching Chris Stewart off waivers was probably not the way to go about it. Um, and, you know, depends on who's available, but guys like Mike Hoffman, uh, you're gonna have to pay a premium, but mm-hmm. those guys, those types of players yeah. is where you'd go about doing it without obviously subtracting from the core. If you could trade uh, defensive prospects or, you know, the flames do have a decent pipeline of guys coming up. So you could get creative there. And that's obviously what I would target first and foremost. I think trading any of those top guys, um, would be a massive problem. And that's what makes this season the most disappointing because, you know, the Goodrows, Matthew Kachuk, uh, Monaghan, Giordano, Dougie Hamilton, Mike Smith, like all mm. those guys are having such yeah. high end seasons that it's just, it's tough to swallow the fact that they weren't able to surround those guys with enough talent to even make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that fourth line is probably one of the worst in the league. And we saw, uh, a couple of years ago, Columbus had a similar problem where, well, they didn't have the high-end talent, but they had a garbage fourth line. They got rid of it. They had one of the best fourth lines of the league, and then they set a franchise record in points last year. I think that's the big thing for Calgary. And the other disappointing thing is they had the legend, Yarmer Yager, yeah. in the fold, and he wasn't playing that bad. He just wasn't playing as good as he was last season, and they sent him home and played... What do they even have on their team? They're, 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 they're <laughs> there's a lot of Curtis, makes me there's a lot so of mad. Curtis Lazar, Troy Brower. Yeah, that, li- that lineup, and obviously some of the guys were injured, and um, you know, best wishes to Johnny Goodrow and his mm-hmm. family. He was mm-hmm. not with the team uh, for all five reasons, but man, that lineup they used the other night in LA was, I think, 
I think there's a case to be made it was the worst forward group anyone has iced this season. Like, that was shocking. It was well, Curtis Lazar and Troy Brower were in the top six. They did, the Sabres did play a few games without Jack Eichel. So that's I mean, true. That's true. A lot of Evan Rodriguez and yeah. uh, Nicholas Baptiste. And, uh, yeah. Um, it was definitely up there, though. <laughs> it's pretty bad, especially for a team that's not yeah. bad. Um, let's talk a bit about the Stars, then, since you did write about them. Mm-hmm. You know, at the start of the season... Um, both them and the Boston Bruins weren't necessarily winning a ton of games. Like, they were doing fine, but their underlying resumes were mm-hmm. off the charts. And on the one hand, you know, you looked at that and you watched their games and you went, man, it's disappointing because that 2014, 2015, and even the following season teams were so fun to watch. And obviously, they didn't necessarily have the final results that they would have hoped for, but that was just good for hockey and they made them the most entertaining team in the league. And they were playing well under my under Ken Hitchcock, but the pace had slowed down so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much more lower event hockey, and it was sort of tough to reconcile that. But you're thinking, okay, well, at least you know they're going to be ready for the playoffs, and maybe they'll be a more dangerous outcome come the postseason. And now that they're not going to make it, you sort of wonder where you go from here and what you do if you're Jim Nill and you're running this team because. I don't. Then don't. I don't. I don't feel like they don't necessarily have that much flexibility. They sort of have this roster set in place. Like, where? Mm-hmm. What are you doing this summer if you're running that team in terms of like how are you going to get an upgrade? Is it going to be in house? Are you going to play guys like Julius Honka more? Uh, shout out to Tyler Dello, friend of the podcast. Or <laughs> are you going to make some sort of a trade? Like, what do you? What are you going to do? Because it seems like the core is going to come back at the very least. Like, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a weird season. It feels like they're trying to think of an analogy for it but like it doesn't seem like they're playing a style that they were built for and maybe this will just be a learning season and now that they have the the tools at their disposal they Mm. can go back but i feel like that's not hitchcock hockey uh it's really disappointing because john klingberg had such an incredible season rising to be one of the league's best defensemen essel lindell is it lindell or lindell and i know it was a weird one to start just go with Essa. I mean, Essa. there's only there's only the one Essa. Our boy Essa yeah. had a pretty good season, putting up top pair results, and the rest of the defense was fine. Even though Hitchcock seems to hate Julius Honka, he's got Tyler Dello whispering in his ear, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, like this seems like a good team, just not a good enough team. Uh, maybe playing Jason Spets more would have been a nice thing to do this season, but right. I'm not sure where they go from here. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's if you're if you're a Stars fan and you're listening to that, that's probably not uh, the most satisfying answer. <laughs> I don't know where they go from here. I don't know what went wrong. I don't. I mean, it's weird because you know they have the high end talent. They had goaltending this year too. Yeah, and as you laid out, like they fell off and they stopped winning games, but a lot of it was pucks stopped going in, mm-hmm. um, which is it's always tough, especially in such a small. Like we're the thing is the attention to it and the importance of it is heightened because of when it happened in the season. I think if it was yeah. more so in like the early stages or in the middle of the season, like this stuff could correct itself and maybe it'd be less of an issue. But now when they need to win these games and the pucks aren't going in, it's like, what's going on? What's, what, what's, what, what went wrong? Um, and I'd look at this team and I don't necessarily think it's one that is so devoid of talent that they're going to keep shooting three or 4% or whatever that's yeah. going on. Especially but, with Sagan and Ben scoring like one goal in their last like 10 games or so. Yeah. And I guess it is disappointing from the perspective of, you know, you mentioned Jamie Ben's falling off a little bit, but 
Uh, Tyler Sagan had a great season, mm-hmm. uh, bounced back to form. Alex Radulov had a perfectly fine season in his first year in Dallas. You know, there's talent there, there, there's talent here for sure. I mean, it was nice having Matthias Janmark back in the lineup, but uh, I don't know. I I really I, I, I long for the days where this team was uh, playing track meet back and forth hockey, and we saw a little bit. We saw a glimpse of that when they were here in Toronto. Uh, what was it like a week or two ago? That game, that's six like, five game. Yeah, yeah, it was like, oh man, like we're back. I miss this team so much, and they obviously <laughs> they didn't win the game mm-hmm. in the end. So uh, maybe it's not the best game to point to in terms of what they should do. But I miss it as a fan. But it's funny because they played Toronto, who plays that style. You look at all the the top teams, and they have these high offensive talents: Pittsburgh, Tampa. Winnipeg, even Nashville to an extent, even though they're they've got all those great D. But like it seems like as the stars went back towards this grinding defensive game, most of the league went and picked up the pace. And they have better defensive talent to do that, I guess, but it seems like Dallas should have just doubled down on their style and try to win games by outscoring teams. Maybe not the the Lindy rough way. But <laughs> I yes. mean, there's probably a way they could have managed between... There's a middle ground. There's a middle ground, and they went they went too far. They overcompensated for their lack of defense. Yes. Um, okay, I want to talk more about sort of that league change you just alluded to, and we'll talk about John Klingberg and the Norris and everything in a second. Let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we'll, uh, we'll pick things back up. We've got some exciting news. Uh, the PDO cast has itself a new sponsor, and that sponsor happens to be eHarmony. Um... When you're devoting as much of your life to hockey or whatever your job may be, um, you know, you don't really have much time left over for too many other things. You're working long hours. By the time you come home, uh, you're exhausted and you don't really feel like going out or doing anything else. You just want to kind of unwind. Um, and it's, that's especially true for myself. I mean, if you consider my scheduling on my job, um, even though I get the advantage of living out on the West Coast, I'm still for the most part, hanging around in my hockey watching lair uh, from 4 to 10 on most nights. And by the time the games are done, I'm gassed and all I really want to do is just turn on some Netflix and kind of zone out before passing out. And I'm not complaining because I realize that I have an awesome job and I wouldn't change that for the world. But I also acknowledge the reality of the situation. And that's that I don't really have the time and energy to go out there and meet other people all that often. But thankfully... Um, I don't need to because we live in 2018 and there's this thing called online dating. Now, it's not always entirely that simple because anyone that's tried online dating before knows all about the lazy text messages, the dead-end conversations, uh, random matches that don't actually wind up materializing or turning into dates. And that's where uh, our sponsor eHarmony comes into the mix because unlike some of those other online dating services out there, there's actually tons of success stories that have come from people who have met on eHarmony. And that's because eHarmony takes steps that other dating sites don't in order to find you a more compatible match uh, by using decades of science, data, and psychological research to sort of send you the right matches and bring compatible people together. And right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Just enter my code PDO at checkout. Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Just go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter my promo code PDO at checkout. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, uh, we're back. We, so you, people probably know this by now, but obviously the, the ads are pre-recorded and then we put them in there. So we, you and I kind of just sit here for a second and, and pause. <laughs> but I will say, um, I, think the, I think the read we ran there um, is going to be an eHarmony read. So um, it's going to be, hopefully we all 
find the, the love of our life uh, by any means necessary. Anyways, um, so you mentioned there before we took the break um, how the league has sort of gone in this faster paced direction and the stars went sort of zagged when the rest of the league zagged. You know, there's there's something to be said for that. I think, um, you know, we see it in basketball a lot, for example. It's like we've been talking for years about how can you beat the Golden State Warriors and you're probably not going to outgun them, although, you know, Houston might pull that off this year. But then we had like this, the San Antonio Spurs model of maybe you slow things down, you beat them up inside and you go a different direction. Mm-hmm. Actually, I read something by uh, Sirat Sohi. She writes for The Athletic. She's one of yep. the best basketball writers right now, in my opinion. Might be a little biased because mm-hmm. I've met her and she's a very nice young lady. Yep. But What's her Twitter? let's give her a shot. It was like it was like it was some play on like Damian Lillard, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's Lillard. her yeah. Twitter account. Yep. Um, but yeah, she wrote about the Houston Rockets, and I think something about how they slow down. They start doing more ISO plays and just giving the ball to Harden and Paul. So they zagged while everyone's trying to copy yes. and emulate right. Golden State, like Toronto, the Raptors this year. They're playing more like the Warriors do, more mm-hmm. three pointers, more ball movement, and the Rockets aren't really doing that right and it's just interesting that they found this new style a new way to get more mori ball shots Mm -hmm. um this is the most i've ever talked about basketball i think in my life and i don't know if i'm sounding smart but if i do it's thanks to reading sirat which you all should do as soon as you shout out mori ball yeah already sounding really smart um (laughs) but the reason i brought that up was because i think you and i actually discussed this i had you on the show around this time of year last season Mm -hmm. and I remember a big topic at that point was, you know, in 2017 or 2018 now, um, everyone's paying more attention to shot rates and shot attempts. And you sort of wonder if there's going to be kind of a point of diminishing returns or if it's going to get devalued a bit, if everyone is sort of paying attention to it. Um, You know, if the gap's going to shrink in terms of the best teams and the worst teams, and if everyone's going to start hovering around 50, 51% or so, and the reason I brought that up is twofold. One, um, you know, if you're going to be an anti-shot um, attempts person, this is a good year to do so because I believe the second, third, and fifth ranked teams in adjusted Corsi uh, will not be playing in the playoffs. Uh, that's Carolina, Calgary, and Chicago, surprisingly, who's fifth. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you look this year and goal scoring's up a bit. Um, Shot rates are definitely up. It seems like teams are playing at a faster pace. Um, but goaltending, for the most part, has is leveled off. I think league average is around 9-13 save percentage or so, as it has been in the past. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I just brought it up. I don't necessarily have a definitive answer or anything, but just from watching these games or looking at the numbers, do you feel like um, this stuff is sort of, sort of normalizing a bit from the perspective of a lot of teams are doing the same thing, maybe teams are actually trying to get the puck on net more frequently than not because of what they know? Um, or do you think it's just one of those things where it's just a random season and doesn't necessarily mean anything? I'm not really sure. It's been weird because there's just this huge uptick in goals and shots this year. Uh, but it feels like goaltending performance itself hasn't yeah. necessarily deteriorated, Well, right? it has for some, right. like the goalie in Montreal this season. Of course. I mean, as a whole, like as, as a league a whole, average. Right? Yeah, I think yeah. the league average is around the same, but like goals are up to, they're close yep. to six goals is like what most people want. And yep. it was just, a lot of it was the penalty crackdown. Yep. There's more space out there for players to be creative. And there's just this young, exciting, talented group of players that are blossoming this year. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's teams honing in on 
the whole put pucks on net because that's been the thing since I was a young kid playing yeah. hockey. I said put pucks on net. If they called it Corsi, I'd be it's like, a bad what the hell thing. is yeah, that? But exactly. Like, put pucks on net. That's what it is. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are trying to hone in on the the middle ground, though, trying to get more quality chances and more rebounds, uh, that sort of thing. So that might be it. And once goal scoring goes up, things like shot metrics will be less important right. as well. Because if there's six goals per game or five and a half goals per game, Five and a half goals per game, you can get by by just outshooting your opponents as often as possible. Six goals per game, you need the talent to get by. So this year we have a Colorado team that's not very good, but they have McKinnon and Renton just lighting up the league because they have talent to do that. And Carolina, for example, they have some good players. They have a good system. Their goaltending is still We can put a full podcast of what the hell's going on in that there. (laughs) But yeah, they just, they don't have the talent that other teams do necessarily and so they can't score goals like their shot rates suggest they should i guess right and from our perspective as analysts obviously the reason we value um shot metrics is because there's just a larger sample for us to work with so we Mm -hmm. feel more comfortable with their uh kind of repeat repeatability and predictability moving forward Mm -hmm. but all, all of a sudden you start increasing the goal data then yeah maybe take more of that into account one theory that I've talked about a bit and I've been mulling over and let me know what you think about this. Um, You know, maybe a part of the reason why, uh, you know, goals and shots are up so much is because there's so much talent in the league now. And it feels like we're in a good place with that. And like in in terms of individual star power and we're seeing, you know, crazy point totals that we hadn't seen in the past few years, I believe like 14 guys or so uh, could realistically end the year with like 90 points which is crazy because the past it's more than we've had in the past five years combined um so teams are kind of embracing or more willing to use uh you know smaller faster more skilled guys up front but it still feels like on the blue line teams are a bit more hesitant to fully buy in and make that transition like it feels like there's still a place in the league for the Roman Polak Eric Goodbranson types that don't really have much utility but are just kind of big bodies and I wonder if you know, obviously, if there's a talent gap there that drastic in terms of forwards and opposing defensemen, maybe that makes more sense why teams are able to generate so many more goals and shots. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we got more more of the Yanni Gourds of the world, yeah. more small players who are very offensively gifted, and the pace has been a bit slower to get there. Uh, I still have the stars. Pull up my computer, and I see Mark Mathot there and Julius Honka not. Right. And so... That progression has been a lot slower on defense, so I definitely see your point there. I think that could be one of the reasons. Yeah, teams are still kind of like risk averse with that, right? It's like, yeah, ah, I trust this guy because he's you know lower event and doesn't really hurt us that much, but it's in much more subtle ways. Yeah, you see that in Toronto with uh, Roman Polak over Connor Carrick as well. And people freaking out about every time Jake Gardner makes a mistake. Yeah, um, yeah, yes. Um, okay. Well, so we're, while we're on the topic of defensemen, uh, man, this is, this is the podcast of segues. I feel like everything is just lining up perfectly. I'm on fire here. Um, you know, we talk about John Klingberg, we're talking about defensemen. Um, let's talk a bit about something you wrote a few weeks ago, which was the Norris trophy race. Um, and how it's kind of, it might be an even more interesting topic. It seems like everyone right now is distracted by McKinnon versus McDavid and, whether you need to make the playoffs to win the MVP and what that means and what we're, where we're at with that moving forward. But for the Norris Trophy, you know, for years, it's been Carlson Burns 
and then Dowdy was in there for a while, but it's like kind of like the usual names. This year, it feels like that crop has opened up a bit. There's some new guys there with Seth Jones. Uh, you could make the argument that this could be, quote-unquote, the year for uh, you know either Victor Hedman or Alex Petrangelo or a few guys like that who have been around but haven't been in that discussion before. Um, I guess it's an interesting topic for me because... I know Allison Lucan wrote about this recently for The Athletic. It's mm-hmm. sort of, how do we evaluate who the best defenseman is? What are we looking at? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you have the two camps where it's like, which guy's driving the most offense? Who has the highest point totals? And then there's, oh, the, you know, the guys who romanticize. I remember the days where defensemen actually played defense and as if those two things are mutually exclusive. But like, when we're looking at or when we're talking about who is the most impactful, who's the best defenseman, what are we looking at? Like, are we looking at who's driving the most offense? Are we looking at on on versus off ice results? Are we looking at shot suppression? Like, what? I mean, obviously, the answer is probably a little bit of everything. But like, if you're looking at the resume for a guy, what should we be looking at first and foremost? I feel like there's a lot of things to look at, and what's currently being looked at is not that right. I what I wrote uh, when I did this North Story piece. I want to put a bunch of things into a regression just to see how past voters voted and it was just so predictable that this would be it but it was literally just points plus minus are they on a good team and then sometimes there'd be exceptions for for legacy awards but it was just amazing that Carlson I think led the league in points four years in a row and won the Norse twice the two years he didn't he was a minus player the two years he did he was a plus player right it's just it's dumb that that's what it is. And it's not even like we're looking at 5 on 5 goals or 5 on 5 goals relative to the team. It's plus minus, which includes a lot of garbage in it. Right. So there needs to be a change. And I hope voter transparency and I hope the rise of analytics does change that. And people do pay attention to, the, to other things more. There are stats that I think are important that should be paid attention to. Um, whether they drive play, whether they suppress shots. I mean, you could even look at whether they suppress goals and put that in your in your thought process. You don't necessarily have to use it, but like if there's a guy who's getting buried alive by goals this year, like I, like Chris Letang early in the year, maybe you or don't, Eric Carlson or Eric Carlson, maybe you don't have him this year. But right. like everything has to be considered, and I think there's a, just a long and lengthy list of things to look at before you can get a choice. And this year would be an especially tough year to do that because there's just so many worthy contenders and it feels like they might not get their shake because this is Hedman's year or maybe Petrolangelo's year or maybe we just give it to Dowdy again because he might even deserve it more this year than he did. He probably he does. He, he, I think so. Well, too. especially since no one is necessarily having the type of kind of transcendent generational season that Carlson was having the year mm-hmm. Dowdy actually won. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and for example, <laughs> Eric Carlson has 58 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victor Hedman has 56 points. Yeah. The difference is one of them's minus 25 and the other one's plus 27. And uh, that's going to be something that, you know, I was talking about this with Emily Kaplan on a, on a recent show where we were discussing Norris favorites, and we didn't even mention Eric Carlson. It seems like we kind of take him for granted. And obviously, he's still an insane talent, even if he's not playing 100% this year and everything that's going on off the ice with the Senators. But like he's not going to finish even top 5 in the mm-hmm. voting because of that. Like it's <laughs> people just can't overlook that. Well, the big goal difference is like you yeah. that needs to be accounted for somewhat. For sure. Like I include it in game score and I don't know if people like I do 5 on 5 and I don't do 
plus minus, but there needs to be some of that in there because I think those rules matter. I remember a couple years ago, Tom Tango dove into the hockey analytics pool for like a week and said, here's weighted shots. And people were like, do we need this? And I feel like it, like I, I was already doing that. So yeah. like, I feel like we sort of like ignore that, but it does bridge the gap between Corsi and goals and the answer somewhere being in the middle. So yeah. including both and just weighting Corsi like a little bit higher because there's so many more events mm-hmm. does help. But even this year, like Eric Carlson's raw course, he's obviously not good because he's on the sends. Right. are terrible, but his relative numbers are exceptional. Right. Which is funny because last year they actually weren't for like the first time in a long time. And he got more Norse buzz than, than he usually would just because I think his plus minus was pretty good. Right. Well, as with everything in life, mm-hmm. I mean, you do need to account for what's happening on the other end of the ice, even if it's luck driven, because it's ultimately it's like, what are you what are you putting on the table versus what are you taking off, right? And yeah. as long as it's a net positive, that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. Which is like when we bring up a guy like Jake Gardner, like all the stuff he does well yeah. is much more important than the few bad mistakes he occasionally makes. Um, and sometimes people can't, just can't shake that from their head. But I wonder, like, when we're talking about these individual awards, um, you know, there is a distinction that I think needs to be made between uh, descriptive and predictive. Yeah. Because... Like, technically, like, when you're talking about an award like the Norris, you're capturing which defenseman had the best season. Mm-hmm. So, a guy might have poor luck. Like, you know, if a guy like Crystal Tang is just getting murdered yeah. in on-ice save percentage, like, that probably doesn't mean that next year that's going to happen. But you you have to account for what's yeah. happened this year already because that's what technically yeah. the point of the award. Yeah, the award is descriptive, so I do get that point of view. I don't think you should ignore it completely. I do right. think you should ignore it plus minus completely mm-hmm. and maybe look at five on five goal differential sure. instead. But at the same time, you also have to not weight it the right. heaviest because it's out of the player's control. There's some things that are in the player's control where you'll watch the tang and he'll make those mistakes and Oh, that goal against was on him. Yep. Uh, but other goals will just happen and they won't be his fault necessarily. And he'll get ding with a minus anyway, or he'll get a plus because Crosby Flipped the puck in the air seven times and batted it in. <laughs> and Latang just happened to be on. Like, those things have to be accounted for. And that's where you get the, the watch the game argument. Right. Yeah. Um, but even the people voting, most of them are, are regional voters. They're not going to watch every single player's every game. No one can. Not even the national writers. So you got to find a way to balance the numbers with what you see the few times you do see these players. Mm. Um. Okay, let's take another quick little break here, and then we're going to do some mailbag questions. We're going to talk about playoffs. We're going to do all that fun stuff. We're coming into uh, my personal favorite stretch of the year here um, in the sports world. We've got March Madness going on. Uh, NBA and NHL playoffs are just around the corner, and baseball season starting. And regardless of whatever you're into from that list, uh, there's sure to be some event out there for you to go and have a great time at, which is why it's extra important that you know about SeatGeek. You have so many better things to be doing with your time than to be messing around with struggling to find tickets for a reasonable price. Anyone that's ever had to do it before can attest to the fact that it can be a complicated, confusing, time-draining process, but it really doesn't need to be because there's a better, simpler, easier way to buy tickets, and that's with SeatGeek. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or just looking to get the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's going to have you covered. 
I know that because I use them myself all the time and they've never let me down. And the same goes for my listeners. Uh, just the other day, I had uh, one of our listeners, Steve Thomas, send me a picture from a Fort Wayne Comets game saying he got hooked up by SeatGeek to go to the game. That's right. We've got people hitting up ECHL games out there. What else would you expect from a, the PDO cast contingent? That could be you. Uh, not necessarily the ECHL component of it, but an NHL game or anything else that uh, the fancies your interest. Uh, because... You're listening to the Hockey PDO cast today. SeatGeek's going to hook you up with $20 off your first ticket purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO, which I can't stress enough. I know you've probably got other podcasts out there that you listen to that tell you to do the same and use their promo code, but forget those mopes. Let SeatGeek know you're riding with myself and the PDO cast. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, before we get to the listener questions, um, you know, I tweet. I, I last last week I wrote about Evander Kane and the impact he's made on the Sharks. Yeah, and uh, I tweeted it out yesterday, and you, uh, you know, you quote tweeted it, and, yeah. you, and you mentioned that you know you, you you've never really had to take uh, proven wrong quicker than uh, yeah. saying he wouldn't make them a contender or have a discernible impact on them. Let me see what the exact thing I wrote was. Yeah, let's quote it. Let's quote. This is, this is riveting podcasting. Let me let me read back what I tweeted at you yesterday. <laughs> no, it's what it was. The, okay. Other teams of note. San Jose. Does adding a Vander Kane make the Sharks contender? No. No, mm. it doesn't. And I'm wrong. Yeah. Like two weeks later, three weeks later. I mean, he's having a bonkers stretch right now for yeah. them. He obviously, you know, he had the four goal game, so that's going to skew things, but that still counts the same. Uh, he has nine goals and 14 points in 14 games. He has 66 shots on goals, shots on, shots on goal in that game, in that stretch, um, which is like over, I guess, what, four something a game? Crazy, crazy. crazy. Thornton isn't even the one passing to him yeah. right now. Um, you know, he's playing with Pavelski quite a bit, mm-hmm. and they're putting him in a position to succeed, obviously. And I think, you know, there's two factors here which we can't depends on how much you want to wait them but you can't ignore uh obviously playing for a new contract and being out of buffalo i'm sure mm-hmm. the fact that he's finally playing on a winning team that's going to play in the postseason that's obviously got to be a motivational factor yeah um and playing with better players but you know they're just they're relying on him so much and he's rewarding them for it i mean he the other night against the blackhawks um the game went to overtime but he played more than even brent burns he led the team in nice time he played like 25 minutes which is that's just crazy. crazy yeah and you know, their schedule has been fairly easy. I feel like they've only played two or three teams that are going to be in the postseason since mm-hmm. the trade deadline, but they're like 11, 2, and 1. And if you look at all of their underlying numbers, um, they're through the roof. They're just dominating at 5 on 5. Even their expected goals are way up. And, you know, when they acquired them at the time, um, they had had some poor shooting luck. I think a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that Brent Burns was taking like <laughs> every second or third shot for them, it seemed like. But, you know, they were like, not scoring. Yes. Usual. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they were like 27th or 28th and five on five goal scoring and they're leading the league since the trade deadline. And part of that is the better shooting luck. Part of that is the opponents. But it's tough to argue with the gamble that they made in terms of the small price they had to pay and how they were being rewarded for it. Like, do you think that him being there and the potential of Thornton coming back eventually here and maybe the two of them playing together and it's sort of from a stylistic perspective, making sense as a passer and a shooter, um, does that give them a leg up on the other California teams here? And does that make them either the second or even the best team in the Pacific Division? I honestly think they're the best team in the Pacific Division. It's not because they're necessarily one of the best teams in the league. I think I have them below the two central teams, the three Atlantic teams, and probably Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. maybe even Columbus, the dark horse in the Metro. But 
it's because the Pacific is just not very good. And I think it was a similar thing last year where just no team is just overwhelmingly better than everyone else. I know Vegas had their beautiful sunshine year, but like they're still an expansion team. They're still, they've been not very good lately either. So I just don't believe in them as much. I think San Jose has the inside track. Uh, Anaheim might surprise now. They're a lot better with Getzlaff and Kessler in the like lineup. the weirdest season. It's a, been a weird season, but they've been better, and they have arguably one of the best goalies in the league in John Gibson. Uh, L.A. will be better with Carter, obviously, but I just... And they also have Jonathan Quick, playoff goalie extraordinaire. Who's actually had a really good year this yes, year. Credit yes. to Jonathan Quick. Yeah. We He's been we, like the sixth or seventh best goalie in the league. We, like fre- we frequently yep. say bad things, so this is our moment to say, Jonathan Quick, you've been... Really good this year. We Probably the average for the first time in a while. <laughs> we are we are sorry. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that Ducks point can't be overstated because mm-hmm. I was thinking about this the other day, and there was like a good—I don't know how many games it was, but there was a decent stretch. It wasn't just one or two games where you know Derek Grant was their number one center and Chris Wagner was their number two center, yeah. and then they trade Chris Wagner. Obviously, they get healthy. They trade Chris Wagner, who becomes expendable, mm-hmm. uh, for Jason Chimera, who's like one of the worst players in the league at this point. They they both are, I think. No, I, but then now, now Chris Wagner is playing on the fourth line for yeah. a horrendous Islanders team, and that just like kind of puts into perspective the fact that this Ducks team was able to stay afloat with him on their second line because of, I mean, they obviously have a great blue line, but John John Gibson, mm-hmm. you know, there's a case to be made that he's probably going to finish second or third in Vesna voting this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where that puts them moving forward. Obviously, now that they're healthy with Getzlaff back, I think they're an intriguing team, and I wouldn't necessarily want to play them in the first round. But yeah. I think the Sharks probably have the highest upside of any of those teams. Yeah, definitely, especially when Thorne comes back, if he does. Yes, knock on wood. I mean, obviously, yeah. with the injury and, and the, his age, um, you don't want to take it for granted that he's going to come back and yeah. be 100%. But Any of those four teams probably get smoked by the two good teams in the central but but the thing is they might not have to play them till, till the western conference final and at mm-hmm. that point that's like, a successful season well but i mean yeah by and those two teams might be like battered and bruised well yeah you look at that you look well. at you look at that you look at that set you know that could be like a crazy seven game series with like multiple long overtimes based on the recent matchups we've seen from them and then yeah you know what we've seen with winnipeg with, with dealt with injuries you who knows what's going to happen with mark shifley at that point it seems like every other game he's leaving with injury <laughs> i mean all of a sudden you could walk right into the Western Conference final, and that other team could be mm-hmm. like sixty percent of what it would be otherwise. And and you get Thorn back, maybe. It's crazy. I mean, this is uh, wow. If the Sharks, after everything that's happened, had another Stanley Cup final run in them, like that would be. I feel like that would be such a cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of like you know often and for valid reasons, we talk about you sort of have to be pragmatic about this and you have to realize what your window is and if it's not happening for you you need to look for the, towards the future and blow it up but the sharks team has been just kind of treading water waiting for these small little windows to attack and it'd be pretty like a shark oh look, oh, oh look at that <laughs> i didn't even do that on purpose but i'll take credit for it um the other team i wanted to talk about here is columbus mm-hmm. uh who similarly have been uh just playing amazing hockey recently and I'm kind of torn here because I really like them. And, you know, you look at their profile. I think they there's an argument to be made that they have the best goalie in the league. Uh, one of the best, if not the best, defense pairings. Uh, they, you know, they finally have an actual bonafide superstar in Artemi Panarin and the way he's playing up front. Their forward group as a whole doesn't necessarily have a lot of 
brand name value, but mm-hmm. they just have a bunch of guys who can play. Um, it does help that Cam Atkinson woke up recently and yeah, playing Jenner really as well. well. Yep. Um, and you know they have a bunch of frisky guys there, like Alex Wenberg's finally kind of back to his form from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas Vanek, great deadline acquisition. But then you look at the standings and who they have to play. And they might play the Penguins in round one again. And it, as good as they've been, <laughs> yeah. And with all the statistical evidence we have to suggest that at least it should be a toss-up series, if not the mm-hmm. Blue Jackets should be favored. Like, are you going to predict that they're going to beat the Penguins in round one? I, I would not have them favored. I would have them favored against any other Metro team. Mm. If they played Washington, I'd probably have them favored. Um, that would probably be their best case scenario if they Philly passes them. But playing Pittsburgh is not an optimal path for them, which just sucks. Because it's just a bad break two years in a row that... Is undeserved for a team that struggled for so many years. They finally have good teams, and they got to play the defending champion. Yeah, I feel for them. And mm-hmm. this might be a crazy thing to say on the PDO cast, but I kind of like the job John Torrell has done this season. I mean, even last year. And mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned earlier that that fourth line and sort of you know it's one thing for them to actually make the personnel moves, but you know you got to give the coach a bit of credit there in terms of utilizing his forwards in that way where you have the fourth line who doesn't really play much at five on five, but just kills it on the power play. And that was clearly an advantage for them last season. And I don't think it's an accident that they go out and acquire sort of more special teams oriented players like Mark Latestu and, and Thomas Vanek um, at the deadline. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I like the way he's not going to get buzzed for it because of Gallant and uh, Bruce Cassidy and Jared Bednar, but I kind of like the job John Tortorella's done this year. You got to give him credit too for occasionally scratching Jack Johnson as well, which yep. is some some bold coaching. And 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 Brandon Dubinsky, mm-hmm. who is making a lot of money, and you know is obviously a former Tortorella favorite, mm-hmm. and used to be a really valuable player, but clearly with the injuries and the miles, is not the player he used to be. Once you because uh, I'm looking at the team right now and how my model has them rated, I. I saw like three replacement level players. I just thought, okay, that's the fourth line. And then you said Brandon Dubinsky. I'm like, one of those guys is Brandon Dubinsky. Yeah, he's, he's making been, a lot of money for a lot of years. He's, he's been bad this year, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he has. Um, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I know uh, good buddy Travis Yost wrote about this a year or two ago, but the Blue Jackets, for all the smart stuff they've done, have had a problem. And this isn't unique to them, but seems like they've been big offenders here in terms of like paying guys after big uh either individual shooting percentage seasons or on ice shooting percentage seasons mm-hmm. and then you look at some of the contracts and it's like oof, nick felino is making how much for how long <laughs> Ooh, brandon duvinsky that's a that's a tough one yeah. um so it's not ideal there but they have so many in i think it's a great story they're sort of like minnesota out west where it's like i guess they do have artemi panarin on and they have the two blue blinders but it's just like a lot of pieces up front that you could move around very malleable like i know both you and i love bjork strand mm-hmm. uh you've got like sunny milano uh boone jenner thomas Mann. like, it's like you go on it's not like anything is necessarily set in stone and it's it's interesting obviously when you bump into a team with like the penguins uh who does have the star power it's becomes a more of an uphill battle but i've always been kind of intrigued by a team like this blue jackets team and i hope that they can have something to show for this season beyond five playoff games Hopefully. Imagine if they do play Washington. 
Well, that'll be a fascinating matchup. And I know one of the questions, uh, let's get into the mailbag here. One of the questions was... These segues. Great work, man. I'm just killing it, man. I'm killing it. Uh, it's, it's episode 228. So <laughs> I've, uh, I've done a depressing amount of this, uh, of, of, of talking on this podcast. Um, one of the questions was about the Capitals and, you know, their underlying numbers are not good this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they keep winning games and they clearly have, you know, with Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov, uh, they clearly have the star power. Um, but what do we, what do we make of them heading into this postseason? I think they're they're much better than their underlying numbers suggest. Um, so, what, how would you explain those poor underlying numbers? Well, they've always had underlying numbers that are worse than their goal numbers, right? Usually because they have because the talent they have the talent, right? So, whether that is like a two percent gap or a three percent gap, that's something you can live with if you're the Washington Capitals. If you're at forty seven, forty eight percent, you can still win the five on five battle with your talent, and then you have a power play that has Ovechkin on it. Yeah. So that's usually enough to be an above average team. They're not the elite team they were last year, but I feel like if they were in a series against Philly, I'd still pick Washington, even if Philly has slightly better, probably mediocre five on five numbers. Just, just a guess based on the flyers past season that they're probably always around 50%. Yeah. Just always assume that. But if they play Columbus, I would, I would take Columbus just because Columbus is better at controlling five and five and they have star power in net on D and Panarin up front yeah. and they have the depth to beat the Capitals this season. Yeah. Well, I guess throwing a monkey wrench in things is uh, what's going to happen in net with them. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously Philip Grubauer, Grubauer has been great, but I wouldn't say it's optimal that Brayden Holpe is such a question mark at this point in terms of whether he's even going to be a net for them. I guess if Grubauer is playing as well as he has this year, it doesn't matter, but um, yeah, it's interesting because uh, you know, they got beat up quite a bit for how they handled this summer and how they weren't really prepared for the expansion draft and just losing a guy like Nate Schmidt. And uh, I guess it worked out for them that Vegas didn't take Grubauer because they'd be pretty screwed right now if Holby was having the year he's had and they just had a replacement level generic backup in that instead of Grubauer. Well, then they'd have Nate Schmidt, though, who was that would help. great. That would help. Especially since yeah. they have that hole where they left Alsner and imagine... Subbing Alzner in with a guy like Nate Schmidt, number one defenseman for the Pacific leading Vegas Golden Knights. Imagine if the Capitals had that would be pretty helpful right now. But I mean, they did they did pretty well at the deadline finding Nate Schmidt like players, guys who thrive in third pairing roles like Michael Kempney and mm-hmm. Jacob Jerebek. They still have Brooks Orpik in, so I mean, they're not doing yeah, their I, best I, there. I but... don't love the job Tortorella, uh, Barry Trotz has done this year. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, that was a Freudian slip there with the Tortorella. Um, <laughs> especially like with the forwards, it seems like he's he should be playing guys like Jacob Rana and Murakovsky mm-hmm. more, and he just relies on very questionable talent. But I guess that goes back to that sort of uh, risk-averse nature of coaches that we always talk about. Interesting, moving forward here, you know, a guy like John Carlson uh, is going to be a very trendy name this summer. Mm-hmm. And I believe... Uh, you know, today while while the the, the Bob father Bob McKenzie was uh, doing a little Twitter Q and A while he was uh, on Wi Fi waiting for his flight, and someone asked him about John Carlson, and he said he expected his deal this summer to be uh, between seven and eight million dollars annual salary for six or seven years, uh, which is scary for a guy who's turning twenty nine, I believe, yeah. and is having a career year. Um, 
it's it's tough for the Capitals though because of how much talent they've lost the past few years. And you look at that blue line, and you look at the fact that they're a cash strap team. That it's like if you lose John Carlson this summer in free agency for nothing, you're not going to be able to fill um, fill that hole in the lineup because he's making under four million this season. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going to have that seven to eight million dollars that Carlson's going to get paid elsewhere to fit mm-hmm. you only have to replace four. him. It's only like who are you going to get for that price that's going to be able to um, do what he does? Especially when you look at the rest of that depth chart, where mm-hmm. it's like, man, I, I, I like Niskanen, even though he's been a bit down this season with injury and Orlov. But beyond that, it's a lot of unknowns and a lot of oh, let's hope that Madison Bowie and Christian Juice uh, get a lot better because otherwise they're going to be pretty screwed. Yeah, they, I mean they were hoping for that this, this year, year yeah. and Madison Bowie was not as good as they thought he would be. Yep, Juice was fine, but they obviously didn't think he was fine enough because he's scratched now. And they traded for two guys to replace him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I like Carlson. I'm not sure if he's if I like him. At that price, um, but yeah, there's a. There's a big hole in the Caps line if he leaves, though. So it's a big well, question going as a right shot, As a right-shot defenseman who is currently leading the league in defense scoring, um, he is going to get paid. Yeah. And it helps, obviously, having uh, 35 of those 64 points on the power play. Just <laughs> You better hope you got an Ovechkin to pass you if you're John well, Carlson, well, I guess. Luckily, those guys also grow on trees and a lot of teams have mm-hmm. had them. So, um, I don't even think he plays the the matchup minutes on this team either, which is the other thing. Uh, I think those go to Orlov and Niskanen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's not playing those minutes and his, I think his possession numbers are still a little wonky compared yeah. to the rest of the team is probably a bit of a red flag as well if you're giving him seven, eight million. He's always been one of those guys for me that there's a mismatch between like how good he looks. Like if you physically just want the eye test, if you watch John Carlson, you're he's like, a very oh, beautiful player. This guy's amazing. Like, oh, like, <laughs> so big and strong and he can skate and he's puck skills but then you always look at the underlying numbers and it's like they're fine but not necessarily nearly as good as you would have mm-hmm. thought based on how good he looks out there the other thing with him this year is always he had to carry around one of the the children that Washington yes. has put next to him he's been babysitting a lot this year so you wonder if that drop-in competition is being offset by the drop-in who he has to play with as well that it's could be it's true thing. but I just wonder like what what that fit for him is going to be this summer. Cause there mm-hmm. will be teams lining up to pay him, but it's like, what team is he going to go to where it's going to be able to optimize that value? Like, you know, I think Toronto could next does, to, does, does, next to Morgan Riley. I think that'd be a pretty good pair for and that price. Really depends on how long the years years are and Leafs have the cap space. So I think it would be, he would be a good fit, especially on, I mean, they already have Riley and, Yep. Gardner manning a pretty good power play, but I think he could do well there. Yeah. But for the price, I'm not sure. I also wonder, like, is he going to be on the top power play unit if you bring him here? Probably not, right? I mean, why why mess up one of the best units in the well, league? Exactly, right? and especially with the way it's like it's set up for them. And obviously, if they lose Van Riemsdyk, you're going to have to uh, mm-hmm. rotate some stuff and figure it out. But like, I feel like part of Carlson's value is his shot from the point there mm-hmm. and I don't think the Leafs power play or any I mean a lot of the good ones already either have the guys in place or are kind of focusing more on diff- getting funneling those shots from different areas as opposed to the traditional just you know tee up bombs from the point well I mean the Leafs have a another power play unit with Matthews and Nylander on I've heard I of mean, those guys 
so uh, he, he could help the, the second unit there. Um, oh, we have, a, we have a Riverdale question here. We're going to save that uh, for the end of the podcast so that <laughs> we don't alienate everyone. Um, but I have, some, I, have some, I have some thoughts, and I'm sure you do as well. Uh, all right. Let's, 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 oh, okay. Holden McComb here asks, what bubble team is best set up for the future, and which one's a fluke due for regression? I feel like he wants us to talk about the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Um, Colorado, New Jersey are probably our options, I'm guessing. Mm. In terms of regression candidates? All right. For next so season? Florida, New Jersey, Colorado, St. Louis, Dallas, LA, Anaheim is our group, mm. I guess, of bubble team. Um, I, I know it's a hot take because Florida is poorly managed, but I think they are primed well for next year, just based on the top end talent that they have. Yeah. Um, well, I say that and then I realize that their goalie is 48 years old, so I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they have the, they have the high end talent. They, they have Reimer. Yep. So I do like them for next year. I I think the Devils and Avs probably won't be as strong next year. The Avs, if they find some depth behind McKinnon, maybe. Yep. The Devils, I th- I do think this was a fluke year. And I hesitate to bring up the Ottawa Senders, but I think they're this year's Sens. And I just hope, for Taylor Hall's sake, because he's one of my favorite players, that he doesn't have to live through what the Ottawa Senders did this year. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people will be very rational about that and not blame him at all. Um <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I think. I think there's. I mean, there's not too many of those obvious teams to choose from, right? It feels like, especially at this point in the season, like the yeah. bubble teams have either completely fallen off or have snuck into the playoffs. So it's. I don't know. Like uh, we talked. We talked about Dallas. Uh, let, let, let's move on from that one. So I'm going to combine two questions here. One is why is Clayton Keller not getting the attention he deserves, and the other is can you still be a fan of a team if you aren't cheering? For them to tank. Interesting combination. And the reason I bring that up is because, and I know that you know you as a, as someone who deals with uh with you know game probabilities mm-hmm. and uh, a little bit of sports betting action uh, has enjoyed this run that the Arizona Coyotes have been on, as the odds haven't necessarily lined up with how well they've been playing. Um, I forget what the exact numbers are, but. I think they've been one of the best teams in the league the past like 20 or so games just in terms of win-loss. I think they're like 15 and 6 or something like that. Uh, I saw a tweet earlier today. They were, I think, 14, 7, and 1 since February, which is great if you're betting on the Coyotes, which I have frequently frequently done down the stretch. Right. Very big change from last year where I was also betting on the Coyotes and it did not go very well. But Mm. this year was different because they once they got anti-Rancho back, full health, um, they got their defense back. They they started playing like the team many of us expected at the start of the season, yep. where they could be actually decent, and that's how they've played lately. And the betting lines have not reflected that because their record is still so, so bad from the start of the season where they did not have Ranta, they did not have full health on defense. And... I mean, you mentioned Clayton Keller, whether he gets the credit he deserves. And I mean, I don't even know how many points he has. I think it, like, is it around 60 or something? Yeah, it's in the high 50s, I think. I mean, he's been playing. He's obviously, you know, he had the torrid start to the season and then he kind of dipped a bit. And then now recently he's also kind mm-hmm. of elevated his play and started producing a bit more. And he's an awesome player. But I, th- 
the reason I answer that question is because he's playing for Arizona. That's why he's yeah. not getting, And obviously, you know, Barzal's just run away with a Calder, so he's not really in that discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, People don't care about players until they're on good teams. Yeah. No one cared about Blake Wheeler yeah. until he had this season on a great team, even though his underlying numbers fell apart, which is hilarious. He's been this superstar for years. and What was that, like 26 straight seasons of Blake Wheeler's the most underrated player in the league? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, oh, he plays for the Jets. How good can he really be? I think last, good. Like yeah. last year when I had my, my star power piece, I had Blake Wheeler in tier one, and that's one of the things I got ripped apart for. And then this year, I feel like, Wheeler? Hart? Maybe? Mm. Yeah. Well, there's... This is this is this is the bad year for that to happen. This is the bad so year, many. Bad, but he, there was so many yeah. candidates, and he was one of them. He was leading this amazing Winnipeg Jets team to their first postseason berth in a few years, and that's because Wheeler's amazing, and y'all should have known that. Hmm. So Cody Chandler asks, in your opinion, which I goes without saying, it's we're doing a podcast. It's clearly our opinion. Um, would Detroit be better off replacing Ken Holland or keeping him? And this is interesting because. Elliot Freeman reported that I believe he's about to sign like a three-year extension with Detroit. Um, I wish people could see your face right now. Uh, man. So if you look at, let's look at the bottom like five or six teams or whatever. So, you know, you have the Buffaloes, uh, the Canucks, the Coyotes, like the worst teams in the league right now. And I'm going to lump Detroit in that. And you're just looking at sort of their longer term outlook and it's like, how soon can these teams feasibly become relevant and at least playoff contenders again? Mm-hmm. Like for this Detroit team, I mean, at least some of those other teams, like they obviously every team has bad contracts, but yeah. there's like the financial flexibility where if some of their prospects pan out, they could conceivably go out and add talent from the outside to help supplement that and potentially get better. Yeah. With this Detroit team, I mean, you look at the contracts and it's like how... Like, we know that it's possible, no matter how bad a contract is, to dump one or two contracts. But how are they getting out of everything yeah. that's on the books? I mean, the Abdulkaders, the Ericsons, the Cronwall, the DeKaiser, the Luke Lindenning, like, Darren Helm. I mean, just go, the list goes on and on. And it's like, as much as I like guys like Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha, I mean, it seems like this team is at least to like, like 2020, 2021 away from even considering being competitive again. Yeah, you listed those guys, and even those two, as much as you like them, they're probably not... No, of course. They're not, like, foundational, like, yeah. these guys are going to carry us to the promised land by any mm-hmm. means, but they're good, like, they're good players. They're, they're good players. Uh, one of my favorite charts that I did over the past year was for my Red Wings preview. Mm. I had every team's replacement level and fourth-line players on one axis, how much value they have and how much they cost, and the Red Wings were in a league of their own, basically, and just the amount of contracts they have with just terrible players is, it's a daunting task. And I, I don't think Ken Holland is the man to dig that hole out because he put them in. But you did mention the Canucks, and that made me realize we did not answer the last question fully, which is whether it's okay to cheer oh, for yeah. a team to tank. Yes. Because I know that question came from a Vancouver Probably, yes. segment. And as someone who lives in Toronto, as someone who gets to watch Austin Matthews daily, I will say... From the bottom of my heart, it is absolutely okay to cheer for your team to lose. Yeah. You want what's best for the future, and right now that means losing. Mm. It's an unfortunate unfortunate part of the draft and the lottery system, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, that's well said. 
Um, who's bringing the cup back to Canada, and does it happen in the next decade? It'll happen in the next decade. Oh yeah, um, that's a long that decade's a long time. Although I guess if you were saying that, like if you're saying that a decade, if you're saying it a decade ago, uh, yeah, of course it's going to happen. Uh, there's been a few opportunities, of course, in the, in the Stanley Cup final. Um, so I know, you, I know, you, I, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> it just clicked in my head. Um, I know you're going to say uh, Toronto here, aren't you? Who's going to do it first? Yeah, I'm actually not going to say Toronto. I I'm going to say the Winnipeg Jets. Ooh, you think it happens this season? Uh, I don't know. According about, to you, I think there's like a 12 or 13 percent chance. There's a 12 percent chance. I think I have them as my third or fourth favorite this season mm. so just because they have right the higher likelihood than toronto i gotta go with the jets and the fact that it's not like necessarily like based on their roster composition mm-hmm. it's conceivable that next year they'll once again be in that same spot it's not like this is either if they don't win this year they're they, they're, they're in a very good spot yeah. too as well uh it'll be between toronto and winnipeg if edmonton ever figures it out they have Connor mcdavid so i mean it's bonkers that edmonton is not mm-hmm. in the top two on this list i mean wow are they even in the top three who would you put between Calgary and Edmonton? Edmonton. Yeah, just because of Connor? So. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're one Peter Shirelli firing away from really turning this thing around. So I, I feel like they'll bounce back next year. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, they've been unfortunate. Pretty much everything that's gone wrong could have this year. And Connor McDavid will only conceivably even get better next season, which is a frightening proposition. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very sad and depressing that that's not the case. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if you get this. Um, you know, sometimes they've made themselves very easy to, to uh, poke fun at uh, on Twitter and mm-hmm. whenever something happens to make fun of the Oilers. And I get a lot of pushback from people, you know, saying like, oh, you know, the, the trolling is becoming tiresome. Um, you know, you got to move on. Like the Taylor Hall trade happened. It's enough times passed now. Just let it go. And I think people like don't understand that for you and I, um, other than the easy jokes, like it's, 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 as hockey fans, it's just disappointing because... They could have been a dynasty. Yeah, and like Connor McDavid is playing at such a high level and is such an insanely transcendent generational talent that for him to not be playing in the playoffs is a shame, especially for people that want to see this game grow mm-hmm. um, in the States and around the world. Like having your best player mm-hmm. play in meaningful playoff games is generally a good way to do so. It would be. And the other thing is, is that they gained momentum last year and NBC still didn't have Connor McDavid and the Oilers on nationally broadcast games. I think it was like one or two games. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to do that next year for a bottom-feeding Oilers team again. So can you really complain when Conor David is only shown nationally one or two times when this team is a tire fire? And it's of their own doing because they thought they could address needs and pay $6 for one. Yep. It's just how it goes. They lost the trades. It happened. But that doesn't mean we have to necessarily move on because it's still affecting them. As someone who lives in Toronto and heard daily about how one particular trade for two firsts and a second went poorly. And well for Shirelli, his his one big win, which he then turned into a loss somehow. Yep. I mean, the talk doesn't go away until there's a reason for it to go away. And right now, with the Edmontoilers in the bottom seven or so there there really is no reason yes um 
landing spots for Josh Hosang and potential price to acquire. And I don't necessarily like uh, kind of speculative uh, fantasy questions like this because mm. it's quite possible nothing happens yeah. in the summer. But I bring it up because Arthur Staple did a great piece on The Athletic today uh, where he talked to Hosang and Hosang let his thoughts be known on uh, the way things have been handled and the, and the way he's been treated, let's just say. And I agree with his takes, by the way. Um, you know, ultimately it comes back to what we were talking about in terms of what you bring to the table versus what you take off. And he's far from a perfect player. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but if you look at the alternatives and the Tanner Fritzes of the world and the mm. Ross Johnsons and the fact that those guys are playing ahead of him in, in New York, like it's, it's clear that there's more off ice politics involved than just purely in, uh, rating players based on their talent and actual ability in the ice. So I don't know. What do you think about Hosang as a player, and is he someone who is worth um, pursuing if you're another team as like a buy-low candidate, similar to other sort of temporarily failed prospects that we've seen in the past? I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call him a failed prospect. He had, like, I think he has on a 40-point pace when he played with the Isles. He just right. had to clean up his defense, and I loved his quote today in the piece saying, they want me to clean up my defense, and they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Like, what's up with that? And... Every time he talks, I just love him more. And I feel like every time he talks, other teams don't. So right. I'm not sure what the price would be. I'm not sure what it would. But a smart team would take Hosang on. If you have this incredible culture of winning, you can change that and turn him into the player he needs to be because he has the talent. He's shown that at the NHL level, especially when he's been put with good players. And it's just a shame that the Islanders season went down in this flaming wreckage and this terrific young player is just toiling away in the minors. Mm. Like when I saw Staple tweet that piece, like yeah. my eyes lit up. I'm like, this is going to be good. Our art brings the, brings the heat. And I'm not mm -hmm. just saying that just cause he's a, a friend of the PDO cast. He, uh, he's great. I think every, every fan uh, should hope that their favorite team has a beat writer like art. Cause he, mm -hmm. he does not, uh, he doesn't do the generic fluff pieces. He really, he really brings the fire. He brings the fire. Just a reminder to subscribe to the Athletic. Oh, is there a is there a promo code going on that people can use? Uh, I feel like there's always a promo code. <laughs> it's like oh, limited time only for the past two years. Um, so yeah, don't. What do you? What do you? What do you? If you're listening to this podcast, you should be subscribed to the Athletic and. I say that as someone who doesn't even work, is the, one of the few people in the hockey industry who does not work for the athletic. I do, and I need to pay my rent, so please subscribe. Thank you. There we go. Um, all right. I think there's a lot of other questions here, but we've already been recording for like 70 minutes. Let's talk a bit about Riverdale. Where, where, where are you at with this season? Um, yeah, that, that, that's my question. <laughs> how, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? There's just... It's just been so much. Yeah. Like, the first season was perfect, and I think it has a lot to do with length because they could go at their own pace. They have probably had a vision. This second season has been, I think, twice as long and therefore twice as ridiculous because every day something bonkers is happening in Riverdale. Like, even when they went away on vacation one week, they got robbed. Like, yeah. this, the, these stories don't happen to, like, high and, school students. Okay, and, okay, I guess, and they're all they're high school students, and one of them is showing your clothes should, off. Should we, ha should we have done a should we have done a spoiler alert? No, okay. no, who cares? Okay. It's Riverdale. No, who cares? Uh, crazy, crazy shit happens. Um, 
crazy <laughs> stuff happens. I was a professional Riverdale writer for three weeks. Um, there was I got fired because no one watches Riverdale anymore, so they didn't get the viewership they wanted, even though everything I wrote was gold. Yeah. No, uh, it, was the, it was arguably the best part of Riverdale. It, was the it, it was. People like, still messaged me saying... Like, what's the point of watching Riverdale now? Or, like, where are the power rankings? And, like, honestly, it just became a grind for me because it was just so stupid and there, for, like, such little payoff. There's so many factors to consider when... Uh, yeah. And here you mentioned that in the vacation um, yeah. when they get robbed. Um, you failed to point out the fact that a dude got shot in the woods as well. Yep. Uh, Archie, um, Archie High school students this. involved. Yeah. Um, Archie's covering up a murder now. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Or like three, it, I think. I don't know. Archie's like technically part of like the the mafia now. Like I don't. Yeah. Um, Archie's part of the mob. Yep. Um, Betty is a cam girl and strips on the low. I think yep. she's still like sixteen. And it's like though. he's trying to out crazy her her crazy stepbrother, but maybe not. But maybe not. Um, well, it it is her stepbrother because spoiler alert: her mom banged Jughead's mom, dad. Everything is happening right now. I think that's the first time the the term "banged" has been has been brought up on the PDO cast. Um, I wondered what the the most G rated way to put it was, especially and... after we've done an E harmony read on this podcast. <laughs> this is really wow. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. There's. I'm trying. I'm like. I'm trying to think in my head what's happened in this season to talk about, and there's so many mm-hmm. things. I think Jughead skinned a person alive, like skin that took just his the tech, arm, right? just the arm, but like still yeah. like skinned this person. To like send a message. To send a message. Also, Jughead is no longer an introvert. He's a leader somehow. And that person was a, uh, a woman. We should also, should also say. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, it's crazy. What did Veronica do? Uh, what the lies? The li- the cover-ups. She's part of the mob too, I guess, and she's brought her boyfriend. Tried to run for school president. Mm-hmm. Didn't go well. It did not go well. That was a t- that was a tough smear campaign she ran into there. Man, I, she got roasted. I was, she did. That was honestly incredible. That flyer? And then Josie being behind it because she deserved to get Veronica back after... After Ver- Veronica took over the Pussycats, that was one of the most damning things about the season. Veronica just putting on the ears and thinking she can lead the Pussycats. Absolutely not. I think also, you know, we should point out that the, the, the town's mayor was sleeping with the town, the, head, the town sheriff and then essentially got muscled out of her position by the mob and <laughs> now is yeah like i when you say it like that it's like wow oh, okay <laughs> by the way these kids are in high school and then we're this whole season is about what this shady mob boss is planning right and you think it's like the worst thing ever and it's a private prison yeah which is on the bad. ground of a high school that was like a dump yeah like doesn't seem that bad yeah. it doesn't seem like evil incarnate it seems like there's a lot of crime going on in riverdale so maybe having another prison would probably be a good idea i mean it would but also the way he like framed it to Archie's like this will stop crime and Archie's like you're right mr lodge this this is what we need like it, what about the fact that a bunch of high school students chained themselves up to that school so it couldn't be torn down as a sign of protest, and then Archie brought a bunch of football guys to just come and just take them off, clip them off, and just send them home? And it's like, oh, okay. What, <laughs> man? This is. I don't even. What 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 else has happened? Uh, Fred got, went from being shot to running for mayor. Mm, there we go. 
Archie's mom is back in town. Uh, Archie's mom Molly is back Ringwald. in town. Yeah. Um, man, so, so, so much. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that Betty, I mean, we talked about how she's a cam girl. She also was complicit a in a cover-up of a murder. Yeah. Which uh, I think is being found out in last night's episode, which I have not watched oh, yet. Oh, damn. Yeah, right. they, they found it. Now that's a spoiler alert for me because I haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I didn't see it either. I just saw the trailer. Mm. Um, there's also Cheryl and Tony, which is the ship of the season for sure. That's, that's yes. The only good thing they've done this season is Cheryl plus Tony. Wait, but Cheryl is now in like a mental institution. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that happened last week and I forgot about it. Yeah, so Cheryl's yeah, in conversion like, therapy now. It's like one of the... 463rd craziest thing that happened this season to a high school student. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny we're, like, talking trash about, like, how ridiculous it is, but, like, I feel like with how many comics they had of the Archie series, like, all this, like, not all this stuff specifically happened, but, like, they had, like, a bunch of stuff happening to Archie in, like, real life, like, Archie wins a Grammy or something, I don't mm. know. I love how, yeah, there's, there's, like, I don't know, I'm not a huge, I used to read some of the comics back in the day when I was younger, but... I love there's like random occasional throwbacks where it's like when uh, when Jughead was doing that uh, hunger strike mm-hmm. and Archie's like, you, you love to eat. And it's like, <laughs> this doesn't get brought up nearly enough. Like, I guess he eats burgers occasionally. But they like, showed him eating burger like two or three times. It's not enough. Yeah. It's never like a pile of burgers. Isn't he like always eating burgers? He should be eating more burgers. Um, okay. Wow. I don't. Yeah, I will leave that. I, I was going to be like, you should just we should just cut the final 10 minutes of this podcast. That was, that was important. As stupid as the NHL is, Riverdale is even more stupid. The segues on point. There we wow. go. Uh, Dom, plug some stuff. What uh, What are you working on these days? And uh, I know you work for a subscription based site. So where can where can be? How can people read your work? Uh, you can read me at the Athletic. Uh, next week, I will have an update to Star Power, one of my most controversial pieces. Hmm. See who's got it going to the playoffs. And then after that, I will have a preview for every playoff series once everything's locked in. So that'll be a, a fun week for me of writing eight playoff previews in like two days. So I may be sleep deprived, but <laughs> got like nine things to read from me in the next few weeks. And we'll see who is the Stanley Cup favorite mm. in a few weeks. Right now it's Nashville. Will yep. it still be Nashville? Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but tune in to find out. Tune in to find out who's number two. Yeah. Um, all right, man. That was a lot of fun. Um, we'll be back either later this week or next week. Uh, I'm still here in Toronto for another week or so, so can do some more shows. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Leave a rating and review on iTunes for the show, and uh, we'll chat soon, Dom. All right. Thanks for having me, man. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Thank you.